0: Other stuff so that we have sermon streaming all over. Uh, during the uh, beginning of, or during worship, my son came up and reminded me that I'm trying to preach shorter. So apparently there's something really pressing today that we've got to get to. Uh, I, I don't know what that is, uh, but I've been challenged, apparently. Uh, I'll, I'll do my best to share what the scripture has to say. Uh, and, and to bring you, you know, what I what I think God wants me to bring to you, and that's what we'll do today. Um, I'll give the kids a minute to kind of work their way out, and I guess we could pray. Um, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with me today as I unpack the Word, as I as I bring uh, your treasures out of out of the storehouse, out of the out of the Old Testament, um, as we as we look for Christ. In, in, you know, in your word, in, in, um, in the Old Testament as we look for Christ uh, and, and your direction for us in, in, you know, the rest of the material that we're going to look at. I pray that you would be with us through the message today. I pray that you would prepare our hearts uh, as good soil for, for uh, the seed of the gospel. I pray that you would be with us today, um, you know, with me that I would stay out of the way and with the folks who are here that they would just hear from your Holy Spirit, that they would hear from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Many years ago, this is back before the pandemic, kind of ruined the world. Um, I used to be able to go to the elementary school uh, at lunchtime and eat lunch with my kids. Uh, They they did away with that during the pandemic, obviously, and they never really brought it back, and so I can't do that anymore. But um, I would regularly... uh, when Abby was in school, before Titus started, I would go over and I would eat lunch with her. And um, she would get very excited about it. Like, and she would talk about it sometimes for, for quite a bit in advance. I know it's shocking that one of my children would talk ad nauseum about any topic. Uh, and I remember one day I, I, was, I said, well, I might. She said, Dad, can you come eat with me? And I said, well, I might be able to. I don't know. And she, you know, asked again and again, I'll try, I don't know, I got a lot going on today. And then um, at about 11 o'clock, uh, I was looking at, you know, I was at my desk, I was working, I had a lot to do. And I thought, you know, I should probably just work through the day. I, I should probably skip lunch today. I, I, you know, I told her I might not make it. I knew I had a lot to do. And, and then I, I thought about it a little bit and I thought, man, I really, I, I, I got work like there's always work. Um, I should go. And so I go out there, and the kids are already eating lunch, and I walk in, and Abby is sitting there. There's long tables, right? And all of her friends are sitting together in the middle and all the teachers, and she's sitting all by herself way at the end with nobody around her. And I saw that, and I thought, why is she doing that? And I, I asked her, I think I asked her teacher, and she's like, oh, she was so excited that you were coming. She wanted to make sure there was a space for you. And so she sat away from everyone else so that you would have a place to sit with her. And I realized, like, wow, she trusted me a whole lot more than I deserved. Uh, number one, because I almost didn't, right? And, and that's one of those things. Kids tend to trust us, right? Like, there's this childlike trust that kids have toward their parents. And as they grow up, they, they tend to doubt us a little more. And, and there are things over the years that I've said, Abby, you should do this. Abby, you should do that. And she'll get mad and she'll fight me or she'll argue and she doesn't trust me quite as much um, she doesn 't trust me with cookies i don 't know where that came from she doesn 't trust me with um, but <laughs> my my kids especially uh, but what we 're going to talk about today is trust um, we're working our way through the sojourner elements of the the forefathers and and this is kind of a longer series we 're going to be talking about the sojourner elements of the scriptures uh, for for the foreseeable future and and Um, one of the underlying ideas here, uh, that's easy to miss is that for Abraham to leave home for, for any of these guys to do these things, like they were taking their lives into their own hands. They were taking their comfort, their future, their kids future, or in Abraham, I guess, having kids at all. Um, but like, there's a big risk associated with trusting God. This is not an easy thing. And it was a jump into like a life of hardship. And and that's a that's a big trust, right? And there are times I think Abraham obeyed and trusted a little less, and there are times Isaac, his son, obeyed and trusted a little less. And and we're going to look at that today. We're going to talk about this idea of trusting God as we obey, and and all of the things that play into into it. And specifically, we're going to be looking at Isaac today. Um, As as you guys are aware, like I, if you're not aware, here's the backstory. Abraham had one son. God promised him a son amongst a whole bunch of other things. He has this one son, Isaac. And Isaac's life was less eventful than his father's and his son's. So, like, he ends up being a little more of a flyover country part of the book of Genesis. Um, And in our psalm we've been working through, because we've been working through Psalm 105, Um and, and in our psalm, he just gets a single mention, and it's it's sort of a funny one, and we'll get to that in a moment. So, real quick, so, sojourners in the ancient world, a sojourner was a foreigner living amongst, uh, like a like a nation they don't live in. Uh, the Millers have uh, had a Dutch fellow, right, or Norwegian, he's offended if you call him Dutch, uh, Erickson, right, Leif, yeah, I got his name, uh, <laughs> He's not here, but I got... And, like, he's a sojourner, right? Like, he doesn't live in Montana. You know, he is just here living for a period of time, and he'll go live in another part of the state later, and we've had a bunch of those guys that that have come through. A sojourner is just anybody who would move and live elsewhere for a while in a land that wasn't their own, amongst people that were not their own, in a nation that was not their own. And in the ancient world, it could be dangerous. Like, most nations had no rights or sojourners. They could just do nasty stuff to you. They could rob you. They could... Turn you into a slave. They could, you know, all kinds of stuff. The ancient world, like, we're pretty comfortable now. But the ancient world was not the same way. It was a horrible, brutal, bloody, like, nasty place to live and and time to live, I suppose. Um, And for sojourners, it was especially bad. Abraham and Lot, we talked about them. God calls them to travel. We talked about them trusting and obeying and all this other stuff or not obeying. And all along the way, what we find with Abraham is God makes promises. He makes this initial covenant where he's like, go where I tell you, I'll be your God, you be my people. And that was the promise. And the big thing there is, I will be your God. Like, like you get me out of the deal. And, and we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, but this promise God makes to Abraham, I'll be your God, you be my people. You will get a son. I will make a great nation out of you. You like he promised them the land that he's going to sojourn in, right? Like, so he's going to go, he's going to travel all around Canaan, and that's going to be his land one day. Um, and, and so it'll be like the homeland, which is Israel now. Uh, and then finally, the whole world will be blessed through your descendant. That last promise is a reference to Jesus, right? Like, because all of the covenants are all about Jesus. That's it. Like, this is all building up to Jesus. And even the sojourner stuff and, like, Like the the story of Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice. All of this stuff is about Jesus. It's amazing when you just scratch the surface of the scriptures how much you find Christ everywhere. Because the whole Bible is a big blinking neon light saying, this is Jesus. It's like the worst kept secret in history. Um, And that's why we go tell everybody about it. That's our job, to not keep the secret. But the whole world will be blessed through your descendant. And the only part of this promise... That Abraham gets in his lifetime is the son, and he's like a hundred when he finally gets the son. Okay, so like this is not like God was took his time and he waited and he moved slow. And so like he he goes to the land that'll one be the, one day be their homeland and and he he gets to see it, but he doesn't even own like a plot to be buried in when he dies. Like he doesn't like it's not his. He has to buy a grave for his wife that he eventually is buried in. Like He doesn't get anything, and he has to trust God. And Abraham, as far as it goes, man, he trusts God with some big stuff, right? He trusts him with his whole life. There are a couple of instances where he drops the ball, and we're going to talk about those a bit later. But we're going to jump to Psalm 105. If you want to look in your Bibles, I'm using a different translation than I normally would as an experiment. If you like it or don't like it, let me know. Um, this is the Living Translation. I never use the Living Translation, uh, and I wanted to try it. Uh, this is uh, 5 to 11. Uh, and, and so Psalm, Psalm 105, real quick, we talked about this uh, a few times already. I'm going to go over it real quick. Psalm 105 is a song that was written to celebrate the day the Ark of the Covenant is brought into Jerusalem, like and it's prepared for a permanent placement there. And it's a celebration because they finally solidify the homeland. Like, they have their land. And it is over a thousand years after Abraham's dead. But God fulfills this promise. You get a land. Like, it, like it can't be a nation without a land. And so this song is about that. And it's a remembrance of God's promises. And so we're working our way through this song, As we talk about sojourners, because everybody in the song is a sojourner. Everybody is traveling. And that's being emphasized because finally the wanderings are over and they have their own nation. They have their own homeland. This is our place now. Um, Some of the older people here might remember the day that you bought your first house and you walked into a place that was yours for the first time. And all of the joy and stress that comes with it, right? This is my house. You know, I get to make the rules until kids come along or you get married, then they make the rules. Um, So 5 to 11, again, this is pointing backward. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. And you children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. Now, real quick, the reason I included this earlier sentence, I haven't been including that in the, the sermons, the back reading but you children of his servant Abraham. Now, David is writing this song, and he's talking to the nation of Israel, and he's reminding them, you guys are Abraham's kids. Got it? Because this promise God made to Abraham runs down the line, and it applies to all of his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and everyone else who's in this lineage, and that's important. Um, He is the Lord, our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. He always stands by his covenant, the commitment he made to a thousand generations. This is the covenant he made with Abraham and the oath he swore to Isaac. So again, this is going to be like an all-star history as we get further into it. It's the all-star history and the backstory of Israel, but like Isaac, one line, and it's not even a whole verse. The verses aren't original. They were added later, but, you know, to classify, to make it easier, fine. But, like, one line, and it is just the oath he swore to Isaac. Now, um, why? Uh, Sworn promise, actually, I think is how it is in the uh, ESV, which is what I usually use for research. Like, here's the deal. Isaac, the one thing Isaac did to receive this promise, okay, one thing. Like Abraham has to move, Isaac has to be born. That's it. Like he didn't earn it. It wasn't like by merit, it wasn't by anything else. This is a given to him. Whereas like Abraham, it's his faith, like he trusts God, he has faith in God, and it is credited to him as righteousness. And remember, righteousness is right relationship with God. Abraham, his faith fixes it. Isaac is born. And Isaac can choose. And actually, fortunately, Isaac chooses to trust God and follow him, which I think was sort of in the cards already. God knew what was going to happen. Um, But Isaac is like his only merit is that he's in the lineage. Later, we see where the Jewish people all pick this up. And in fact, actually, when you get to Jesus and John the Baptist, there's all this discussion that surrounds it. Like like John's baptizing Jews and Jews didn't get baptized. That was for Gentiles. Gentiles were baptized into the Jewish faith as a sign of dying to their old life and like rising into the new life and all this being born again and all that which like was all about Christianity was all about Jesus and they didn't understand it and the the Pharisees were like they approached John and they're like well we don't need to be baptized we're sons of Abraham we have the promise we got it already it's already ours and so like what we're finding here is like this is the lineage of this idea and it's solid scripturally the Jews are God's people because he chose them that's it like, Abraham had faith, and those who have faith are righteous before God. But God's people, people who are in that position, is because God chose. People who able to join. And that was actually the whole point. People were supposed to be able to become Jewish. They were supposed to evangelize and all this, but that's another rabbit hole we're not going to get into today. Um, but understand that everybody sort of assumed, if you're a son of Abraham, you're in. Um, so as we talk about Isaac, he was just expected to receive it. And obey. Got it? Like he's expected to receive the promise and just obey what God tells him, to trust God and do as he says. Uh, we're going to jump ahead to, uh, oh my gosh, did I, nope, I actually did bookmark it. Yay! Um, to Galatians here, real quick. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, if you want to find it on your own. Uh, and we're going to actually look at 3 and 4, but we're going to do this quick. Um, In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So... All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. We're going to jump over to four. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of picking and choosing, but we couldn't read the whole book. I mean, we could, but uh, I think I would get in trouble after a little while. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise. He's talking to people in Galatia. Which these are Gentiles, these are Greeks. He is specifically addressing a super not Jewish crowd, and he's telling them, "You're children of the promise, just like Isaac, but you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, or want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the spirit of, by the power of the spirit the ishmael isaac thing there's too much there for me to get into it today so i'm not gonna but real quick the idea is he's saying listen you are now in the lineage of isaac how are you in the lineage of isaac you believed god you believed jesus you trusted him with your salvation he is your lord meaning like boss master like the the one you love like your brother um he redeemed you from your sins and so you belong to him and by that faith you are in that lineage. We're all in that lineage. And like over and over again, anytime you're like, like sharing the gospel or hearing it, you're hearing basically what Isaac heard. Got it? And that is like he like proclaimed his promise again. He swore his promise to Isaac. And like that promise is on us now. It is on anyone who is in Christ. So we're going to jump. Did it go? No. There it goes. All right, we're going to jump to Genesis. This is where God swears the promise because he does it. He does it once with Isaac. Um, And it's funny because he does it with Isaac sort of in a weird spot. Like we have the first story of Jacob, then we have this, and then we have the second story of Jacob. And we'll talk about Jacob next week uh, probably. Um, but the Isaac story here is the one spot where God promises this promise to him. And it's the last version of the promise that God made to Abraham. And real quick, I don't know why that matters. Let me explain it to you. The last, every time God offers this promise, explains the covenant, he adds a little bit. He changes something, and he explains it a little differently. Because Abraham was not going to swallow that whole pill the first time out. Everybody with me? Like, he, it was a lot. And eventually, he's going to get to this point where he realizes, oh, wait, the nation's coming after me. Like, the whole, like, like, this is going to happen after I'm gone. This is going to happen after I'm gone. And, like, he starts explaining, like, look out at the sky. See all the stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Look at the beach. See all those, like, grains of sand? That's your descendants. Like, like he adds these things as he goes. But the initial covenant is a little thinner. And by the time you get to the end, he adds one line that's a big deal. The whole world will be blessed through your descendant, which is Christ. Okay? And so when he finally talks to Isaac, he gives him the version of the covenant, the last one that's about the whole world will be blessed through your descendant, who is Christ. And that is right after Isaac is almost sacrificed by his father. Like God says, all right, go sacrifice your son. And like if you read the story, there's all these parallels to the story of Jesus. And it actually... Abraham travels three days to Mount Moriah, just like Christ was in the grave for three days. But Mount Moriah is Jerusalem. It is the place where Christ was crucified. He goes to the same place to offer his only son, who he loves, which is what God does. And so, like, him just restating this, part of the reason it is, number one, because it's the final version of the promise. But number two, it's because Isaac has stood in the place of the sacrifice. And he understands it in a way nobody else does, just like his father does. But that was a rabbit trail. I apologize. Um, So we're going to pick up in 26. Isaac, Abraham's dad. Isaac is living in the promised land in Canaan. And um, starting in 26, a severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. By the way, Abimelech is the name of the king that Abraham dealt with if you're like a bible scholar person like you you're going to wonder like is that the same guy? It is not. It's either a super co- common name or like the name actually means son or most exalted son and it might actually just be a reference to the like the the title like it might be like king or caesar or pharaoh or whatever. Um doesn't matter. Just be aware it's not the same Abimelech. So a famine strikes, he moves, and the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Now, another famine. This famine thing is a recurring theme, and the rabbis pointed out, like, all of this. Famine struck certain parts of the ancient world more often than others. Canaan, big desert, lots of rocks, lots of dirt, hot as all get out. I went to, uh, I went to a spot, like, actually, Masada, which is in this area, And, like, we were up on this mountain. It was in the middle of the day in, like, the winter. And, like, they warned us. They're like, hey, we had a person die up here yesterday from heat stroke. Drink your water, stay in the shade, don't be stupid. It's like, it's winter. (laughs) But, like, Canaan is hot and dusty, and it's just not a very nice place. Um, And so, like, famines would hit. And part of the reason famines would hit was because it didn't rain. I know it's hard to imagine living in a place where it doesn't rain and the crops don't grow right and all this other stuff, but that's what they were dealing with. So um, what people would do at the time is they would go to Egypt where the Nile is. The Nile is this big river, um, and it would flood, and it would flood the delta, and they always had good crops most of the time. There's later another instance of of famine there, but we're not going to talk about that. So, like, what you would do is you were guaranteed safety if you went to Egypt because there's always crops. And you could live there and get away with it. It was a safe place to go. They didn't like shepherds, which is sort of a hard thing for the Jews because they're all shepherds. But, like, you could go there and hang out, and you'd be fine. But God says, hey, Isaac, it's going to be tough. You don't get to leave. You get to hang out during the famine. Now, he does move, but he moves Before God tells him not to go, he goes to Gerar, which is right on the border between the Philistines land and the Jews land. And like he's right on that border, which means that he's still in the region, which means that probably he's still living close to this famine. He's probably settling in right on the edge of where there's still no food. There's sometimes this misconception when we follow Christ we become God's chosen people, that life is going to be, you know, like, like lollipops and, and, and rainbows. And, and uh, I can't remember the next line in the song, but TJ was nodding his head because he knew I was singing the song. Um, like there's this idea that it'll be wonderful. everyone will be perfect. Your, all your wildest dreams will come true. I said it anyway. Um, and, and it's just not the way. Because what God does with Isaac is he says, listen, there's a famine. You don't get to leave. Hang out. You get to deal with a famine. Well, what? Why? Because that's what God decided to do. That's it. There are times where God will give us an out, and there are times where we will sit and we will deal with it. And it is in those times we learn to trust God more fully. It is in those times that we learn to rely on him more fully. It is easy to trust God when things are wonderful. It is easy to trust God when life is like uh, like an open, paved, easy, you know, plowed road. Like, it's, it's nice. It's hard, to, it's hard to trust God in the middle of a blizzard when you can't see in front of you and your feet don't seem to want to hold on to the ground. You know what I mean? It is hard to trust God when it seems like everything around you is broken and messed up and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to get any better and it's just a mess. And Isaac is there and like famine... People starved to death. Like, like, we're comfortable here. This is the only nation, the only culture in history where poor people are obese. Like, you, everywhere else, every time other than now, you know what poor people did? Starved to death. That's it. Um, in fact, actually, I think during the medieval era, like, people who were overweight were considered extra attractive because they were wealthy. Um, it was kind of a crazy thing. Now... It's just not that way because we're so used to this. Like We have what we have. But God does not let him go. Why? I think part of it is because God will sometimes send people through the desert so we get to learn to trust him. Sometimes we endure hardship because we need to learn to endure hardship. My wife said something in Sunday school. I still have it. Yes. Um, my wife said, uh, faith that is untested isn't really faith at all right you can't trust something that you never actually trust you can't say oh well this is you know my faith if you never lean on it if you never have to like do anything with it and the truth is that like once upon a time to choose to follow christ to put your faith in christ was a life changing decision it was dangerous it was deadly it could lead to your death it could lead to your persecution it could lead to you losing everything it's not the way it is now um and sometimes it's that way because we live in a very Christianized culture. And sometimes it's that way because, um, because we forget about Jesus in the process of following Christianity, I think. Anyway, so he's required to sojourn amongst the Philistines. The Philistines are the enemy, right? Like, we don't like the Philistines. And they're actually arch enemies forever. And eventually, like, when David establishes the land, he does so by getting the Philistines out of it, Um. So they 're in this other famine can 't go to Egypt, um, and God is about to make a promise to him. did it there it goes um, so we 're going to pick up in three and go to five. Uh, if I can find three, my eyes are I need better glasses. Uh, live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be this is God speaking, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants. Just as I solemnly promised to Abraham, your father, I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all the lands, uh, all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I will do this because, or through your descendant is what it should read. A stupid living Bible. All right. It should be through your descendant. Is it's in the singular because it's in reference to one descendant. Um, All the world will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now, a couple of things, real quick. He restates the promises he made to Abraham because Abraham obeyed. Did Abraham? But like the tricky part is, he did not. Receive righteousness by obedience. He received it by faith. And actually, we read like a couple of verses about that. Like the 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 book of Genesis says it repeatedly. He received it by faith, but then he obeyed. For us, we are right with Christ because we have faith in Christ, not because we obey Christ. We obey Christ because we have faith in Christ. Um, one breeds the other, but they must be interconnected. And so, like, obeying Christ is like knowing his teaching and following them. Not in a legalistic break your back to earn your way to heaven, because you, if you're righteous, you're good. If you are right before God, if you are innocent by the blood of Christ washing you, you are good. After that, obedience is about becoming more like Christ. Um, I sometimes compare it to being married. I love my wife so much. Um, I don't follow the rules of our marriage because... That's what gets us married. We're already married. I follow the rules of our marriage because I love my wife. And because I love my wife, I don't, you know, have a date outside of our marriage, or I don't hit her, or I don't, you know, leave and not come back for months at a time. Like, I do certain things because I love my wife. And so it is with us in obedience. The command does require obedience, but it's faith. It is God's gift of righteousness, goodness, goodness purity and then after that everything else is a is an outgrowth um so i wanted to emphasize that because it's a big deal we go back to uh 6 to 11 and this is actually our last scripture read here but there's some stuff here and it's interesting and it is this is where the story gets juicy okay so isaac stating gerar when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, she is my sister. Now, you're going to pause here for a second. Abraham did the same thing twice. He went to different lands amongst the Philistines and then later amongst the, the Egyptians. And they'd be like, hey, that lady with you, she's pretty hot. Like, that, that, you know, what's the deal here? He's like, oh, that's my sister. Ah, uh, what? And actually, Pharaoh marries... Um, Sarai at the time was her name but Sarah because he assumes oh well she's available and this rich guy I could have like a treaty negotiation and, um, but, and she was 60 at the time admittedly uh, real, uh, there's a whole interesting conversation about how they decided somebody was beautiful in the ancient world I spent a lot of time deep dive on it it was kind of interesting but like he lies and says oh this is my sister um, he, because he thought they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. By the way, husbands, don't tell people she's your sister, not your wife. And, like, you should regularly tell your wife that she's so beautiful, people would probably kill me to get you. Like, that's a, I think that's a good compliment, right? I'm bad at this. Um, <clears throat> but they will kill me to get her. Now, is this a reasonable thing? 100% Yes. We live in a culture where we assume certain things are going to happen. The ancient world was not that way. People who like like people who were outside of the Judeo-Christian tradition, they were nasty, and especially to foreigners. And people did kill foreigners to steal their wives. It did happen. And in fact, golly, David did it, right? Wow. Um, but he's afraid, and he says they'll kill me if I don't. So he lies. Now, here's the ironic thing. Isaac trusted God enough to say, I will stay here in this famine. I will risk starving. He probably wasn't a small child when he went up to Mount Moriah, regardless of what the like pictures say. So he let Abraham tie him up. All right? He trusted God. But now... He says, well, these people will kill me, so I ain't doing this. Well, if God promised you all of this stuff and he's going to make good, what's going on? Isaac trusted, but he also didn't trust. He trusted in one area but not another. Um, and, And instead of recognizing the incongruity, he gave in to fear. Because that's really what gets us, right? Like fear is what gets us. We say, I can't do that because if I do... Like, nothing's going to save me. God is not here right now. Like, everything is bad, and I'm not going to, like, I, man, I got years of doing this where I'll say, well, everything is bad. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Everything is awful, and I'll feel sorry for myself and everything else, and forget that God has me. And that if I'm in this rotten situation, sometimes it's because, God says, you get to hang out in the desert for a little while and be hungry. That's it. Like, that's it. Sometimes this happens. And he doesn't trust here, but he does trust here. Now, let's bring this a little closer to us. I trust Jesus with my eternity. Because Christ died for my sins, because he was raised on the third day, I am confident that I am forgiven, that I am a new creation, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed my sins from me. I do not have to earn my way into heaven. I do not have to be good enough or anything else. I am in. And my whole life now is just obey and walk and be in relationship with, and grow to be more like Christ, all of this stuff. That's how I live. If I then say, I will not trust God in this area, I won't trust God with my kids. I won't trust God with my money. I won't trust God with my, you know, with my time, with this, with that. Like, if I start piercing that stuff out, that becomes really crazy. I'm going to trust God with me not going to hell, trust Jesus with me not going to hell, but I'm going to not trust him with my marriage really? I'm going to trust Jesus with this, but not, I mean, like, like it becomes kind of a crazy inconsistency. And the reason that that happens is because we're just human and we're fallen. And there's this old sinful man in, or woman in all of us that we struggle with. And it like grabs the wheel and steers us into oncoming traffic sometimes or says, Hey, we can't do that. It's too dangerous. We can't say this because it'll be embarrassing. We can't this, we can't that. And like ultimately it's just a lack of faith it is a really hard thing follow me here it's a really hard thing to become the kind of people who trust god so much that you'll sit at an empty table during lunch because you know he's coming even if he said he you know well we'll see well he's my dad he's coming well he's my dad i'm coming he's coming he's going to come for me i know he's not going to let me down this is who my dad is and like That's a hard road to walk. It's a hard thing to do. Why? Because we have responsibilities. Right? Because we have history of being uncomfortable. But what if God doesn't? Then maybe God is saying, hang out in the desert. Which is another hard idea. Sometimes God gives us difficult things and doesn't come through because it's what's better for us. Oh my gosh, I don't like that. I read a story about a little boy with leukemia, actually, who was, uh, I forget his name, I'm sorry. Um, But I was reading about all of this treatment he did, and he was like five, I think, and he had a 50-50 shot, and he went through all of this process, and finally he gets to this point, like it's like a year into his treatment, it's brutal, and it's awful, and he has to get a spinal tap. And I've never gotten a spinal tap. I assume they're not nice. The story said it wasn't. And they they did this spinal tap thing, and they got nurses and orderlies holding him down, and the doctor explained, listen, we got to do this. To make you better. I'm, I'm sorry. we got to do this to make you better. And like the mom wrote about it. So he listened to her son scream and cry and and fight. And finally when they're done, he's sweating and he's exhausted and he's tearful. And he says to the doctor, thank you for hurting me to make me better. And that's sometimes it for us. Sometimes we're going to stand in a spot where we're going to be afraid or we're going to lose or we're going to hurt or we're going to whatever. And if God is in control, right? He doesn't find joy in our hurt. He doesn't find happiness that we're struggling or that we're suffering or that we're in a bad place, that we're hungry, that we're thirsty. But it is an opportunity for us to say, look, if God's in charge, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Um, Twelve disciples. uh, Judas hung himself. John died of old age after living in prison for a while and maybe being boiled in oil once. Um, all the rest of them, head cut off. I think Paul got his head cut off, but he's not one of the original 12. Peter was crucified upside down after being forced to watch his wife crucified. Uh, Matthew was run through with a spear. James was beaten to death with clubs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God does not save us and does not take care of us for the purpose of making us happy. It's to make us holy. Happiness comes later. Sometimes life is happy. Don't get me wrong. You can be happy in difficult circumstances. But part of the deal is learning to trust. God's got me. God's got me. God's got me. And even if he doesn't, I trust that he's doing the right thing. How tough is that? This is where Isaac stumbles. And it's actually a common failing throughout the Old Testament. We see where guys struggle with this. Um, and it's hard to think of instances where they don't. I would point to maybe like Shadrach, Meshach, Ratsh, and Benny where they're like, well, we won't bow to your statue because our God will save us. And even if he won't, we're still not bowing to your statue because we still know God is there. And so even if he chooses not to save us, he's still God. This. This is the idea. And it's hard. And so he lies. He says, this is my sister. And he lives amongst the Philistines. And I'm going to summarize so I don't get too long. And what happens is, one day, the king is out walking, and he observes Isaac and uh, Rebecca together. And I think the word is probably translated foreplay, like they're fooling around. And you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> did you lie? Is that your sister or is it your wife? And he comes clean, and in the end, like the king says, hey, what you did was wrong. You should not have done this. You put the whole nation at risk because your God would punish us if, you know, if one of us married her. You would have wrecked your own life. You would have this. You would have that. And he lectures him. And what ends up happening, if you read it, and actually going to read it because I was gonna and I meant to and I really wanted to because it makes sense. Follow me here, or follow the scriptures here um how could you do this to us abimelech exclaimed one of my people might easily have taken your wife and slept with her and you would and you would have made us guilty of a great sin then abimelech issued a public proclamation anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death the lecture there i i read a few spots where it's like this is like god lecturing the guy like he blew it like he blew it really big he didn't trust And he's like, well, I don't care if I ruin all these people. I'm going to do what I can to save my own skin. He didn't trust God. Um, And actually, he proved himself to be of lower character than those around him, which is sort of a weird thing. Um, What do we do with this? Like, how does this translate to us? First off, like Isaac, none of us is going to earn our way to heaven, right? Right? Like Abraham, none of us will be right before God because we do what he asks. We believe him. We have faith in Christ. We know Christ died for us and was raised again. We know this life, this time in this world is temporary. We are sojourners here. We are traveling through. The world will not always cooperate with us. It will not always play nice. It will not always do what we want. Um, But at the end of the day... At the end of the day, eternity is where we're going, and we have to trust God with that, and as a result, we end up trusting him with everything else in the here and now, and that's hard, but that is how we grow. It is how we mature. Um, One of the things my wife and I talk about a lot, I watch the kids because I'm around the schools, and I always want to help them so that their growing up years are not as like frustrating as mine, and my wife's like, yeah, if you do that too much, they won't grow up. Like, you have to back off. You have to let them hurt. You've got to let them struggle because that's what's good for them. Um, the uh, Canadian Pediatric Association or some nonsense like that came out with a study this week, actually, where they found that if you do not let your kids engage in dangerous play where they might get hurt and where they hurt themselves sometimes, they have a higher instance of anxiety later in life and mental illness. Why? Because they don't learn to, like, live in danger and risk. They we have to... We have to endure it to develop strength. Um, And in this life, we do that sometimes when we don't know whether or not things are going to turn out, but we trust God whether they do or don't. So, uh, first off, we receive righteousness, not by our works, but by Christ, Um, by faith in Christ. Uh, I'm going to 10, Matthew 10, if you want to find it, I'm just going to read it real quick. If you love or excuse me, not going to read all the way through it. We're going to jump to, uh, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. What's Jesus talking about? He's saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my people, part of this is putting to death your expectation that this is the life where I get to enjoy everything. This is all there is. Because this life is temporary. Our home is elsewhere. We're heading there. And this stuff we pass through. That stuff we're going to go live in. Um, the whole section actually starts with Christ saying, I came to bring not peace but the sword. And I, sometimes people make that into a weird political violent thing and everything else. I don't think it's that. I think it's that learning to trust God, learning to find peace in Christ means facing the sword in this life. It does. It means sometimes saying things that will make you unpopular. It means bucking the way that the culture does things. It means being like Christ. It means submitting. It means trusting. And it's hard. Um, We often mirror this behavior with Isaac, and I think I already said this, by trusting God with our eternity but not our circumstances. If we don't trust God in our circumstances, like it's easy to do, though, because eternity is like way over there, right? And the rent is right here right? You know, my, my kids are right here. My marriage is right here. My health is right here. Like all of this stuff is right here. And God's way, eternity is way over there. Walking with Christ though, he becomes more and more invested in us. The more we learn to trust and walk with and in, he becomes more and more here and now and with us. If you read Paul, Paul talks about eternity as a thing he yearned for, but that, that guy kind of experienced it a bit right then. It was right with him. Here and now we will be sojourners. We will be on the road. This world is not our home. It was not meant to be. We are to trust God with the future now. We're on our way there, not living here. Part of that means don't store up treasures on earth. Yeah, but I gotta have a whole lot of extra in the bank. I I gotta have a whole lot of like nice cars. I gotta have this, I gotta have that. At the end of the day, none of that stuff's going with you. It's not. Like, we as believers, and my challenge for you in this, we are so generous. Like, we are not here forever. We are passing through. And as we are passing through, we have to keep our eyes on what Christ called us to do, how he called us to live, and trusting him in every little moment, every little thing. And the more we learn to trust him, the easier it gets. It might still hurt, but it's weird. I I can tell you there are times I've experienced great hurt and Despair and still felt hope and joy. Um, because that's what comes with Christ. That's what's at the bottom of it. Um, and if He doesn't rescue us from this calamity now, it's not because He's not there, it's because we have to trust Him with the hardship. My challenge for you this week is to look at your life and ask yourself, what part am I keeping? Because we all keep parts, right? God, you can have my whole life, but not. Tuesday afternoon, when I, whatever. You, know, you can have my whole life, but not my business. You can have my whole life, but not my you know, pride, not my confessions, not my this, not my that, like, like whatever it is. Look at your life, look at your heart, and ask yourself, where do you trust, where do you not trust? Or are you in the desert and complaining? Are you facing the potential of Philistines coming in and wrecking everything? And saying, well, let's see how we can work our way around it. Or are you just trusting God in it? Is the first place you go prayer? Or is it yelling and cursing? Or eating? Or <laughs> the internet? Whatever. If it's not Christ, figure out how to make it Christ. Let's pray and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this Sunday. Uh, And this week and as we walk out the door, I pray that you would help us to trust you in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of fear and uncertainty. I pray that you would help us trust you when we don't know what tomorrow holds, when we don't know what comes next. Help us to lean on you in everything, Um, Father. And and when we're hurt, when you're correcting us, when we're just facing times of hardship, help us to understand that that is the, the spiritual exercise. And in all of it, help us to learn to have the faith of of a child waiting for their father to come and take care of them. Um, Waiting for a father to come and spend time with them. Help us to trust you even when we don't want to. Um, And help us to do so with joy and hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a good Sunday, guys.